Kia ora everybody, what's up and welcome to Rebet Live episode 326. Hope the week is going well. It's been a lot bubbling on my side, I'm about, as you listen to this, not only have I just got off an airplane, but I should be kicking with my feet up in Mexico this week. I'm very excited, about to get on the plane, so this is going to be sent to you just by the time you listen to this, I will have landed, I should have a margarita in my right hand, I should have my family around me, and my brother-in-law is getting married uh, tomorrow, so I'm very, very excited about that. All right. Well, what are we going to talk about on today's show? I'll tell you, team. On today's show, we have a very special guest. Her name is Olivia Wensley. Olivia Wensley is going, currently going for the mayor of Queenstown, former lawyer, understands the world of startups. She runs Startup Lakes Queenstown. We're going to have a pretty interesting conversation talking about tech, legal, media, and a whole bunch more. Enjoy the show, team. Leadership in Aotearoa is a big deal. More people are getting into it that are younger, and that is a great thing. More people get into it, they look a bit different, roll a bit different, talk a bit different. And so I'm very proud for today's Features episode of Rebet Live, episode 326, to have the one and only Olivia Wensley join us. Kia ora, Olivia, how are you? Kia ora, I'm good. Thanks for having me again. Oh, of course we had to get get you back. You added so much value for the last time, we had to extend it out even more so and make you a featured premiere guest. So so welcome back. Thank you. I love our yams. <laughs> so... I was thinking about a time we were just talking before um, we came on with where we sort of want to go with this. And I think it helps with a bit of context right now. So as we speak of today, you're obviously going for um, uh, mayor of, of, of Queenstown, Southern, down south and Southern Lakes. You've come from a, a history in, uh, in law. But I want to maybe just go back a little bit. So that's where you're at right now. Rewinding the clock back um, a few years, did you see yourself as a 10-year-old kid being like, I'm going to be mayor one day of something. So t- take me back to this spot with where the, how the headspace has gone from say 10 to today. Cause obviously it's a big transformation. You've got it. You've had a whole bunch that's been rolling as well. So maybe let's start there and we can weave around. Yeah, it's funny. Eh? So when I was 10, I was the shyest, most nervous kid ever, like crippling social anxiety. And so the thought to me now that I'm standing up on a stage and running for mayor is just, wild wild <laughs> so where it changed for me actually is um my mum's from ireland and we used to go to ireland every year and we went for a prolonged period of time and i was there for um high school for a couple of years and it was there that i got forced out of my shell because i was the only foreigner in school uh they called me the girl from home and away <laughs> And they used to make me speak because they loved to hear my accent. So the fact there was this Kiwi girl and they just wanted to hear my voice. So I got forced to speak. I got forced out of my shell quite literally. So yeah, it was the best thing ever because now I'm the opposite of shy. I can't shut up. <laughs> okay. So that, so that was the moment. I would not have picked that in home and away. Did they not realize that that wasn't from New Zealand or it, it was close enough? So they said stuff it literally the other end of the world and so they didn't know the difference so what made you get into obviously you come from a, a background in law before get into local politics and start up queenstown and the rest of it what was where was the move to law like talk me through like a one minute clip from you know being the the crazy foreigner with the funky accent to then jumping into the world of of the legal profession Right. Yeah. Good question. It was a strong sense of justice in wanting to change the world. 
and that's and that's really where it came from was thinking that I could make positive change in the world and um that's why I did law did you came out you counted that so talk me through it you came came out of there where were you based what were you doing and where'd you get into yeah so I um I studied I did my first year in Christchurch and then I moved back home to Waikato and finished my law degree there went to Auckland for a couple of years and worked in litigation so that was quite fun being a real court lawyer so yeah it was really fun but it was also at that time that I sort of so old-fashioned it was unbelievable like there'd be partners that didn't know how to type and so they'd just speak into a dictaphone and they'd try to train you to do the same and it was just I saw heaps of opportunity back then for disruption in the legal industry. So, yeah, so that that came later in my career. So I worked as a lawyer for almost 10 years and then I had enough of it, I, I which we will talk about. But um, basically, I got really tired of the poor culture and um, some really unacceptable practices in the legal profession. And so I joined a legal tech startup and we're all about disrupting the law. And it was so good. We're just a bunch of former lawyers and wanting to do things better and shaking up this really old school way of doing things. So it was fun, really fun. So you come in as, I wouldn't say the underdog, but the, the disruptor would be the classic. But, you know, you're getting a bit jabby. You come into, you come in with a, a, a fresh set of, I guess, your offensive eyes. You get into this big traditional old school historical legacy based you know professional service of, of law and mm -hmm. you instantly see the opportunity or was it more frustration or did the opportunity come out of the frustration because you said hey we could do this better dot 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 what was the the driver in there I saw I saw the opportunity and so what I loved was bringing tech to court and using sort of new software and ways to make um, litigation more efficient so I really really loved that but it was, it was when I left the law, and that was a really monumental change because not many people leave the law. You study for so long, you work so hard for so long that after 10 years of slogging your guts out, it's really hard to turn your back on it. And I did, and that's when it really flipped the switch. And I thought, I can shake things up. I don't need to follow this path. I do not need to be told this is how we always do things for this reason. I can actually, and that's really what flipped the switch in terms of disruption. I just went off the beaten path and then I've just been forging my own path ever since. So on that, right, in the regular business world, when you create your own path, you're always seen as a you know, you know that not an outcast or a th you know a threat in some ways would probably be a, a, a soft a soft threat within such a structured ecosystem of law. I'm sure when you came to try and shake it up, it was even more of a threat. Talk me through the the headspace of how I guess others perceived what you were doing or how you rolled or that just that concept of I I guess being a threat in their I guess old world with new world thinking. Yeah, it was an unbelievable threat. And um, there's a whole generation who didn't grow up with computers. They don't want to embrace the digital age. They didn't want to learn about efficiencies. So I found this really interesting because by introducing efficiencies to a very old way of doing things, which involves billable hours, what do you think happens? If you can introduce a faster way of doing things, it means that it actually threatens their core value 
So they count their whole offering. So if it takes them an hour instead of two hours to do something, then they can only charge half as much. So that's really interesting that the legal profession doesn't want to be more efficient because it's time-based. I have never thought of that, but you are exactly right because the entire business model of how revenue is generated is, and I've heard lawyers talk about this, of building your book. You build the Mm -hmm. book, you know, and then when it comes to selling whatever else as well. So essentially you're an even bigger threat because it's not in their best interest to try and do the job better if it's going to take them less time because they will make less money. So the way should they be incentivized <laughs> to make less money? The answer is no. So they want to keep it slow with it. So what talk me through some of the things that take up a whole bunch of time for someone that's not a lawyer listening to this. Obviously, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. Um, where, where are the biggest inefficiencies in the law profession today? Yeah, so it's wild, right, when you think about it that way, that they they do not want to be more efficient. So the biggest thing is physical documents, right? We used to have rooms that were filled with boxes of documents, physical folders, and we used to get paid to have to read through them physically, manually, right? And But what happened is software came in that did um, text recognition. So then you could pull keywords and pull out documents really quickly. And so that was so much more efficient. So that was one example of having huge gains over really manual backbreaking work. But it's still very much manual versus um, digital. And so you'll have lawyers that are reading hard copies of things and, and doing this dictaphone i used to get in trouble for typing my documents and not dictating them which was just unbelievable so yeah but when you look at it that way about that they do not want to be more efficient and that's why the whole legal system is broken the whole billing model is broken because it's not best value for customers it's great for lawyers but not for customers okay so if we look at uh, accommodation with Airbnb or transportation with Uber or whatever, all of, you know, technology is eating up everything. How do you think this plays out in the world of law in the next 10 years? Like surely different, you know, startups are working or legal firms potentially use technology a different way. Like how does this, what's the Uber blockbuster Netflix moment that you think is going to be coming for law where the whole thing flips on its head and, and the billable hours and the whole model really goes upside down and it goes batshit? I think that, smart contracts through the blockchain are going to be a real game changer because you take away the human error. What I used to find was quite amusing being a litigator is most of the issues caused for our clients were issues with contracts. So issues caused by lawyers, and then you have to use a lawyer to sort out the mess. So (laughs) I find that really interesting. So I think that smart contracts will be a lot more efficient, um, in terms of, of, of executing contracts. I'm really excited about that space, actually. I think that is going to be huge. So you you, know, you you led Olivia with paperwork being a thing. You feel blockchain technology will revolutionize in terms of, I guess, the efficiency or the, um, the transparency and accountability of documents being open and transparent. That's probably going to be pretty massive. What about the model side? How do you think that's going to shift? Because obviously, if it's on an hourly basis, but if you if you if I gave you a billion dollars to build, you know, the, the the biggest AI law firm in the world or whatever it may be, what would that look like, and how does that play out? So, 
I always say that with the law, it's, it's just crazy that lawyers can't give an accurate quote for what the work will take. Because if you're building a skyscraper, you can accurately quote to the last screw exactly how much it will cost, right? The fact that lawyers don't, they won't, they refuse to because there's this whole um, behind the veil thing, this whole, yeah, the Wizard of Oz, right? It's like the behind the curtain and people think that it's magic what lawyers do, but actually quite a lot of the time, it's just, it's really not. It's they're ripping off customers that, you know, if you'll go somewhere for a basic contract and they'll say, yeah, it's 2000 bucks, but all they did is they pulled out a template that they used for someone else. And I just think that the whole model will change because people will get smarter um, and that they'll get undercut as more people come up below them with experience, but they're also tech savvy. We've got most of the senior partners in law firms at the moment are still in the very manual age. They're not digitally savvy, but as sort of given another 10 years and we'll see huge disruption in the profession. You're listening to the Rebet Hollis podcast on Today FM. We'll be back after this. This is the Rebet Hollis podcast on Today FM. Well, when you look at, say, uh, taxi businesses with, you know, again, roll-ups and medallions and this and that, do you feel that it will be some type of one of the bigger players that integrates technologies and does a roll-up? Or do you think it's going to be some type of startup that just does price per job type law, law work and you know it comes from template, but they make sure it's done and dialed for you and it almost as a pick-and-go set model? Or do you think the 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 innovation will come from the top down or from the bottom up and just eat up everything? I think it's going to come from the bottom up. It will be real scrappy startups that that disrupt everything. Same as always. It's always the yeah. way. So in, yeah. in the world of in the world of law, uh, for those on the outside, it would seem you know um, do a whole bunch of reading, a whole bunch of studying, years of work, bunch of debt. You got to work up the system, build your book up, work fifty years, and potentially become a partner one day, and then you get. Uh, dot 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 at the end of this thing which becomes this massive crazy word logo what was the biggest um moment that you saw happen in the the law legal world where you decided you know what this isn't what i thought it would be was there a moment that anything jumped out where, where something popped and you were like yeah nah this ain't it yeah so we've all seen suits right it's nothing like suits. It's so it's so unglamorous and 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 awful. Um, so I went in. I think everybody has a sort of idealized world of what a litigation firm is like, and you're running big court cases and it's power like, suits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's really not like that at all. It's um, yeah. It's what, what shocked me is my first job coming out as a new grad and just seeing how wild it was. I was in a particularly shocking firm for my first job and it was just like, it was more the wolf of wall street rather than suits. It was wild. Like, like, wild. Pretty, like so, what do you mean? Like bad, bad culture, bad leadership, like predatory behavior. Was, what was the everything? All of the above. So huge booze culture, shocking, toxic uh, leadership. And just sexual harassment was just the norm, the norm. It was just so normalized. And I thought when you go in and you're 22 and you're working your first job, it was 
shocking, but you just think it's normal as well. And so that's what happens to a lot of these young women that go into these jobs like at Russell McVeigh and stuff where they go in with high hopes and then they realize what the culture is and you just accept it because you think that's how it is. You don't know any better. So on that, right, would you say, obviously all, all law firms aren't there, but I'm guessing there's probably a bit of a booze culture. Maybe it's changing a little bit of, as well. When you come in and it's the first thing, how do you realize that that is not normal? Like, do you do you start talking to other people? Like, what was the, after you sort of said these things that you weren't so stoked with, what's the process mm-hmm. of thinking for you to try and figure out like, hey, is this a stuff situation? Or like, yo, is this normal? Like, how do you, how do you navigate when you're a young buck on the come up, figuring out what's right and wrong and not wanting to jeopardize your, your career, but at the same time going, yo, this is stuffed, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, at the time you go along with it because of self-preservation, right? And you laugh at the shitty jokes and you participate in the boozing and the whatever it takes. You work the long hours because that's what's normal. I didn't realize it wasn't normal until the Russell McVeigh incident happened with the five young interns who were assaulted. And it was my reaction to that. I was speaking to another colleague who's ex-Russell McVeigh and I said, I mean, that's normal. Why is this making news? And he's like, yeah, but is that right? I'm like, nah, it's messed up. Mm. How much do you think it's changed a lot more now since that came out? That felt like it's a bit of a me too moment for, for law, right? It was obviously a big one that popped off everywhere. It was huge, like monumental change within the profession. Everybody was talking about it. It actually changed legislation. So now it specifically says um, in the lawyers and conveyances rules that no to bullying, sexual harassment, and discrimination, which is awesome. So well, it, it wasn't crazy. there before. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So it's in there black and white what the definitions of those things are, um, which I laugh because it's, I mean, they're lawyers. They should know that that's not right. But it's there in black and white now, so there's no excuse, and it means that they can come down harder on anyone who breaches those rules in the future. So that's really awesome that it actually changed the law. Speaking out, it was like the butterfly effect, right? My action in writing this LinkedIn post saying, this is messed up, this needs to change, and seeing the knock-on effects, like the ripples, and then it ended up Mm. changing the law, which is crazy. You're listening to the Rebet Hollis podcast on Today FM. We'll be back after this. This is the Rebet Hollis podcast on Today FM. Gets you almost gutted when you think about these, you know, these young people getting into, say, young females, or even I'm sure when they're starting to, they don't want to piss anyone off and they get forced into, you know, these crazy hours and having to do earn your stripes and there's all these kind of sound bites and specific things that come around. And I'm imagining if it's already an old school mentality that's not embracing technology, it's extremely, you know, dictation and flipping, you know, paperwork everywhere. They don't want yeah. those things to change because it feels like, you know, that's, this is how it's done. And I've worked my stripes for 30 years to become the partner. And I've, you know, it feels like everyone's must, and they would have come up that same cycle too of how the industry was, you know, and how, how everything sort of is. And do you think in some ways they got not grandfathered into like a shit industry, but clearly it's been like that forever. If it's always been the profile and the ego and the money and the hours and the booze or whatever, right? Like, is this, it was just extrapolated out. Like, how do you think this actually 
kind of how did it get to that point and did they even realize it was wrong well you're exactly right they were grandfathered into it it's this whole closed mind mentality of this is how it always was it was shit for me so it's going to be shit for you and that's basically the profession and that's why they're so resistant to change because they had it tough so then when they finally get to the top of the pyramid they're going to make it hard on everyone else were, were you bullied when you were there what was your experience oh, yeah hideous hideous um all kinds of yeah just just terrible terrible the bullying was was really awful it was professionally based um yeah just just intimidation bullying and to get you to do crazy hours basically and just push yourself beyond normal limits and that was normal that was normal yep it was it was tolerated and it was worse from women actually because they had to really prove themselves in a real patriarchal system they had to show that they're tougher and so they were they were worse by a long shot Wow. So professionally, the the females were tougher on the young females, but then the dudes were probably grosser. So you've got the, the worst yeah. of both worlds, yeah. not even the best. And was a was a bunch of it that those were actually that was there a vibe that those that were supposed to be your mentors ended up being the ones that were actually rolling and hurting and 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 abusing just being pieces of shit? Like was it kind of oh. the exact opposite? It was a total stitch up. When I got my first job, um, the senior partner said to the person who was associate, uh, who was set as my mentor, he said, I've just hired a nice piece of meat for you. And oh, he, no, he didn't. He did. <laughs> he did. And true story. And so then I get assigned this guy as my mentor and he's there thinking that I've been hired for his entertainment just oh just sickening that just made me feel so gross it's so disgusting but that's yeah and, and then i'm imagining if he's a grease ball or something like that then they're like oh you got to work these extra hours we're going to work together and do that and then i'm imagining then all these things and then there's a there's a long lunch and a nice dinner and a few yeah. beers and then old mate gets touchy touchy and starts saying some dumb shit like is it literally exactly like how i said it? like that's is just it- basically what happens it's exactly like that, but where the real bad stuff happens is on away trips. And this is what, because when I shared my story, I had hundreds, probably thousands of people reach out to me uh, sharing stories, and it was unbelievable. But a repeating theme was always senior partner, takes away junior lawyer, um, and then next minute you've got an adjoining hotel room, or, oh, no, this was the only room we could get. It's a suite. And then yeah just it's a hassle that's happened to me and it's like it's awful when you're in another city you're in your early 20s and you feel completely unsafe and you don't know what to do so yeah but that's something that is quite normal that's horrible because i I know i ask about the 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 threat of it because you kind of feel like it's not your spot so i've got a um a family friend he's about six foot seven he's flipping massive and we're out for dinner and then um he rolled up just popped up randomly he came in and was oh what's up blah 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 and i'm I'm like you know six three or so and when i look at him i'm like dude you are physically like bigger gnarlier and i'm like threatened by him and he's only like four inches taller than me and then and i was talking to my father-in-law and was like man he's a flipping massive rig he's like shit 
And then he goes, yeah, like, how do you think we feel standing next to you? And I was like, wait, what? And it was yeah. this thing of like, you're so, you don't even realize sometimes these spots and, and the, the pressure of these things or the threat or whatever it is. And I can imagine if I was a young twenties, five foot six female trying to survive, trying to just, you know, make the boss happy and do whatever. And then you got the trip and whatever, all these things build up and then you can feel really like isolated and alone and actually genuinely threatened, but you don't know who to talk to because the person that's supposed to be helping you is the one trying to flip and slay you. It's like horrible. (laughs) I Um, I think one of the Russell McVeigh victims said it best in her statement. She said she felt like a a mouse being hunted by a tiger. Oh, jeez. And it's almost... If anyone asks me if their daughter should do law, I say absolutely not. (laughs) I think it's really, it's still, I think it's really still unsafe for young women to do. It's a great, great degree to have, but the profession, no, no, it's, it's, it's not safe. So Olivia, isn't that stuffed up in 2022? You're saying, you know, you've, you've got a family, I've got a whanau going, oh yeah, now my, my kids not, I don't want my kid to get into this profession just at all because take the professional side away it's actually unsafe for them as a human because they're a young or attractive or a female or this or that it 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 shows that i guess our society has a flipping long 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 way to go right and what's really wild is that it's lawyers who are meant to be upholding the law they're meant to be the pillars of society they're meant to be enforcing these are the people that that prosecute these are the people that defend rape victims i've seen people who defend rape victims and they're the most disgusting human beings and just predatory themselves so it's just um yeah it's it's just the hypocrisy and just it's it's yeah it's very disappointing well, I'm sure you could say this. There's, been, there's plenty of other industries that the same thing. Those who are supposed to be protecting and helping and supporting those different things are actually the ones that end up trying to screw in, which is uh, shitty all around. Okay, so you basically decide, stuff this law noise. I'm going to go you know, shake the tree and get something else. What was yeah. the moment that your headspace decided to think of politics like let's talk me through so you had the moment where you know you're an island they're making you say the funny words of home and away you go from yeah. you know introvert to extrovert you then go in the law game you realize you know a bunch of creepy sifty dodgy bastards and you want to move on to the next was there a moment that you then thought click i want politics obviously you're doing the, the startup queenstown thing and you got into to, to that world too so you understand that, that world but was there a moment where you realize the impact of potentially what you could do to change the game um, morphed from, you know, into, into public service in a way. It was something that naturally happened because of what I was drawn to. So there was the speaking out and becoming um, an advocate for women in the legal profession and bringing cultural change there. And so that's what made me realize that one person can have huge impact, massive. And then, um, and then just, just through my own interests, I think I've spoken to you before about how I went into Gloria Vale and helped a woman eventually leave. And that was something that I just did off my own bat. And it made me again realize that what I enjoyed was standing up for people that had that were weak. I guess that maybe it's like coming back to the whole feeling like the mouse being hunted by the tiger. Um, or even when I was younger, feeling bullied and vulnerable 
now what I like to do is stand up for people who are vulnerable and I like being the protector. And that's sort of how it came um, about. I just sort of realized that that's what I really like doing naturally and that um, standing up for people who need a voice and doing the right thing and setting, yeah, and, and just enacting real positive change, making real positive change in people's lives. I think there's nothing better than that. You're listening to the Rebet Hollis podcast on Today FM. We'll be back after this. This is the Rebet Hollis podcast on Today FM. So, something you said there, you know, talking about being this protector, but to do that, it comes with this realm of being brave enough internally to be able to have that voice to speak out. Do you think the the experiences or the bad experiences in the legal profession actually gave you more bravery? to then try and be the protector for others, to try and step up for the underdog and try and do that. Do you feel that this new skill or, or talent or strength that you you had basically has given you a bit more of a superpower to try and do that a bit louder for others that may not have, I guess, as much, you know, internal bravery to do so? Oh, 100%. Like when you go through tough times and you become resilient, it's just like you get armor, right? You become really strong. And I think the, like, my favorite saying is smooth seas never made skilled sailors. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That is yeah. pretty good. So you no, know, when you go through these rough seas, you get skills, you get smart. And yeah, and so it just sort of came out the other end fighting. <laughs> so when, you know, you talk about, uh, the legal profession being analog and old school and then, you know, building frustration in the up. You, you then decide to get into politics, which in many ways could argued is also extremely old school and analog and whatever. You've gone from one system, which you know how it is broken into another, which many would say even more so is definitely more broken. Have you not thought that this, you're seeing the same thing in a different thing, but once again, do you see it as an opportunity or as a challenge or a threat? It's exactly the same thing. And, and you're right. I mean, nice I'm picking that up because I see this as totally ripe for disruption. So the average age of the average mirror in New Zealand is 65 and white and male. <laughs> I name, mean, this name John. surprise to you, but when you think of a mirror, like, you know, who do you think of? The Monopoly man, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like old <laughs> uh, male gray hair and that's and that's what the reality is so i just love disrupting people's ideas of what a community leader should look like and saying hey maybe it could be a young woman so yeah i mean i'm not really young i'm 37 i'm almost 40 but i get called young every day now since i announced i was running for mayor <laughs> well it's because you when you're comparing yourself to to, to retired crew that are hanging you've got 30 years on them so it's by default yeah. so what what i'm interested in when you're talking about kind of the when i'm seeing the similarities of both Oliveira's, what tricks have you learned from the last game that was being played in law being old school traditional you know process structure legacy heritage 1.0 version into yeah. what you're now seeing in politics like what what little ninja moves or learnings and insights are you bringing across to have a faster more efficient effective successful experience in this world of politics mm. so what we need to be doing is really getting digital because i mean it's crazy to me that you still vote with a with 
a postal ballot. Like, that's nuts. So we need to be engaging. But young people don't care about local democracy, and they should, because it affects their day-to-day life more than central government. Um, but we need to be using the internet and, and connecting with young people. Um, I just started a TikTok the other day. Oh, jeez. <laughs> hey, the cool kids are doing it. The cool kids are doing it. But, like, that's what, yeah, it's, it's about sort of being open-minded and using different platforms as a way of engaging and hearing their voices, right? So, mm. yeah, because at the moment, the, the most active voters are disproportionately the over-60s. But we need younger generations to care and get out and vote as well. So I think that by using online platforms, you can really engage. Okay, so obviously you've come into this this or the same way I asked you before, Olivia. Do since you've announced that you're you're running for mayor and you're obviously probably seen as a spring chicken compared to a bunch of these you know sixty five year old old doggers, whatever it is, have you felt that you've been seen as a threat or treated as a threat differently now because you've you've stood up to try and shake the tree, as you say? Oh, absolutely. Um. And that's what's been really interesting is because I'm threatening the whole way of doing things. Like there's quite an old guard in Queenstown. There's an old boys club. That no, no, no. <laughs> it was a shock to you. Yeah. I lived in Wanaka for 10 years. I definitely know, but no, go, go on. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and what I've learned, like with the whole calling out the legal profession thing is I learned that, there's actually nothing to be afraid of. If you speak out and stay strong, nothing really bad could happen. I mean, I expected a bit of blowback. I expected a brick through my window or whatever. I was a bit afraid for my personal safety, but then nothing really happened. So from that, I've learned that you can sort of take risks and put yourself out there, put your head above the parapet. And and that threatened. And so I've seen... The results, um, I know that they're threatened because they attack. And I mean they is is the people who do not want me in office. And so there has been online um, bullying, harassment, attacks, personal attacks against my family. Um, oh, jeez. And then trying to smear me with um, some news about my father-in-law's business from 20 years ago. Uh, nothing to do with me, but they'll just drag up any mud that they can and throw it. So, so it's yeah. real. Okay. So, well, for yeah. starters, Olivia, I don't think you need to stress about the physical side because if you're talking about an aging demographic over 65 who are voting, I don't think they could pick up the brick to throw it through the window, Olivia. So I think you're, you're, you're safe there. But maybe you might get you you might lose your, your your membership or your invite to the RSA. Maybe that maybe that could be an issue. So I want to oh, you mentioned something there about family. Right. And mm. so I had a chat with um, Susie Walls a couple months ago, and we were talking about she has a bracelet. So not many people actually know she has a bracelet, which is connected to the the, the Secret Service or whatever for New Zealand. And mm. it's attached to her. So if she's ever threatened because she's been having literal death threats on her, she needs to push this thing and then the cops will come or whatever. 
So Ooh. we got talking. I said, hey, do you feel safe leaving your house? And she's like, oh, no, for about a year and a half. Like I basically didn't really leave the house because I, I felt I didn't feel safe to leave. And I said, so when you biked here today for us to catch up, did you feel safe? She's like, oh, no, because, you know, people could come up to me and like hit me with their car and stuff. And just this whole different flipping world of fear which is going through their mind that the average person just would just go on with their life and whatever. Mm. Was this the first time that it crossed that line out of professional into personal for you? Because I know like I'm a pretty casual dude, but if someone flip and either mentioned my daughter's name or mentioned my wife's name, I'm going straight a town on their shit real quick. So like, how have you navigated the start of actual personal stuff pop up when you're in the public spotlight? How are you, how are you doing? Yeah, it's really tough. I heard Susie speak last year about this experience. I mean, New Zealand's got some really bad issues with misogyny, trolls. There's real hatred towards women in the public eye. And, I mean, you talk about tall poppy stuff. I think part of it's that. But it's like tall poppy mixed with misogyny. And, I mean, look at the stuff. Like, look at the hate that our prime minister gets online. And it's a hideous, like no matter what you think of her, nobody deserves that level of just outright misogyny. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's real. Uh, the way that I've dealt with it is speaking to other women politicians with how they cope and how they, how they deal with it. I've been doing a lot of mindset training on, um, basically when people attack you, it's actually a reflection of themselves. It's not about you at all. It's hurt people, hurt people. So the people that are, are lashing out at you, they've got issues. And so you just, it's not, it's not your problem, but it is, it is going to new levels of, of, of ick <laughs> in a way. Um, I've got a stalker now, um, who's been showing up in my office. Yeah, it just brings up some real, I know, it just brings out some really weird people out of the um, woodwork. So it, it's something, you know, I've spoken to my husband about it. So because when you run for a public office, it is, it does affect your family, puts you all in the lens. Um, but I still think that it's worth it for the greater good of what I'll be able to achieve. And that it's just, yeah, but it's, it's shocking. Like one of my mates is an MP and she gets death threats regularly and she's the nicest, most amazing person ever. And it's just heartbreaking that this is what the cost is for running for office. And this is a real problem because it's stopping good people running for office. And so two parts to it. Do you think it's the, do you think it's as bad for men? 65 year old named John? Definitely not. You're listening to the Rebet Hollis podcast on Today FM. We'll be back after this. This is the Rebet Hollis podcast on Today FM. I, by design, have never spoken about my family, my wife. My, I, I basically never show photos of them. I, they're off the flipping grid, whatever, because I never want anything I do publicly to potentially jeopardize anything for good or bad. Right? Like I, you know, if the, the, the uh, something crappy if I do. I'd hate for, you know, my daughter to go to school and then whatever, just, just, I'm, I'm really uh, cautious about that. But I know if I did something and if something, you know, someone said something to my wife, or whatever, I know she'd come home and she'd have something to say about it. What was the conversation yeah. like with hubby when you said, Hey, you know, like this may be a thing, this will potentially happen. I could be whatever. Does he get kind of 
you know, Rara as the alpha male just wanted to, you know, take a few baseball bats to go and see old mate McWeirdo or whatever? Like, how does it, how does that dynamic with your partner change or grow through something like this when you're deciding to be in the public eye? Oh, he's like you, wants to smash him in the face. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a pretty normal reaction, right? Um, it's your wife. You're like, stuff this. Like, you just like, you know, you, you flip, you know, I can, I can definitely, I can get it, but you know, then the coolest senses prevail, you know, the, the, the maturity comes through and you, you sort of deal with that. But what are, what are those chats actually like to be, you know, for him to be comfortable for, for you to get stalkers and possible death threats and just that whole thing, like the dynamic, how's that changed your relationship? Yeah. So I think that we're both very committed to the greater good and the cause and that it's, it's a good sign that I'm getting people that are trying to make my life difficult and trying to take me down a peg because it means they're afraid of what I represent and what I represent is change. So that is a good sign. Like we're taking it that way. Right. So the, the public smears, the attacks on the family, um, it just means that people are threatened and they're trying to stop me, which just makes me more determined. And so my husband's the same. He's like, right, well, we just have to beat him and win that's cool you've got the support on that because the other way it can go the other side where it's like hey we don't want you know um you know it's like fight or flight and can definitely go the other way what's Ooh. since you've decided and that's obviously all happening now and it's day one because obviously you go local and things get bigger and, and it grows now what's the one thing inside politics which you've realized that you didn't know before like let's rewind back a year or two whatever and now you're doing and obviously the race is just starting but mm. is there something that's standing out the same way you saw in the legal profession that you've seen in here and going huh well i didn't see this coming or this is flipping weird or or dot 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 what would that be um i'm quite shocked at how people have unconscious bias and so i've got these billboards and i'm relatively young blonde my billboards are glam, you know, and people look at that and they think that I'm not a leader and that I'm not smart, that I'm just a, you know, and Bimbo. so that's, and so that's, yeah, yeah. And so they think that, um, that's, that's really interesting, right? That they have this really preconceived idea that if you're a young, blonde, glamorous thing, you can't be a leader, you you don't have the smarts. Um, that's the biggest bias that I'm facing. That's going to be the biggest hurdle in this race is overcoming that mindset. But so, then people hear talking and they, they listen to my ideas and then they get over that. So, but it's, um, yeah, just b being judged solely on appearance is really frustrating. I don't know. Oh, maybe not for being pretty, but maybe for being like wearing street clothes in corporate environments. But I felt for a very long time for maybe almost about 10 years um that i was the odd one out with that because i would roll different talk different act different dress different all my stuff right and so what yeah. i actually realized and about it was the lie the perceived liability was actually the asset and so i think we may have talked about this before where you know i feel i felt that I want to look like the flipping security guard. So you underrate me. I want to sit yeah. there and flip and have you just totally write me off to the side of us. I'm just yeah. some random dude helping with the AV technician stuff, not realizing I might be the keynote speaker or I actually know whatever. And it was this mindset shift where I, I mentally turned the liability to the asset. And I'm imagining there's probably 
uh, same way you could be doing that, that of going cool 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 like you know choose a battle you want to fight with it right because you could either choose to fight the battle of fighting their perceived bias that way or be like cool 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 under it all right we'll see cool 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 like that's i mean that's when people say i can't do something or i i you know get the trolls or the haters or whatever it is i just instantly yeah. like okay cool you, you don't think i can do that all right cool cool and i'm just like i use the i use all the liability as fuel and i'm like and now it just becomes an asset so you know like i'm sure if i popped up now and i started wearing a flipping three-piece suit and talking all different and stuff everyone be like dude rebet sold out like what the hell happened i am sure the perceived the perception of them thinking you're not that smart um actually will put them in a way weaker position and you're in a lot stronger position as long as you play it right so don't don't put all your energy too hard into trying to fight the battles which you don't actually need to win because you're playing a different game you know because i'm sure it can consume you that's right that's right I love it when people underestimate me. It's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. And it's it's just like you. It's like you disarm them, right? And um, and then you're in a strong position from the get-go because if they've underestimated you, it's um, – yeah, it just gives me fuel as well when people tell me I can't do something. It just gives me fuel. Yep. And it's like you where it's just – if I, I love it when people tell me no or if something's impossible because it just drives me to do it. That's awesome. Well, um, when we have another chat post-election or whatever it may be, fast forward to that point, what do you think is coming that you haven't have thought of yet? Like what's one thing that you know, you know, may, maybe, a, you know, if you were to do like a, a pre-mortem on the future of what something might pop up that you wouldn't have expected now, where does your radar go to with what you may need to look out for in the next year? Honestly, I, I'm afraid to predict because look at the last three years. <laughs> True. True. Maybe, okay, this could be really, this could be um, quite strange is having a normal year without global catastrophes, pandemics, war. That would be something that, that out there, just, just a normal year. Yeah, just give, just give us some, some regular... Some really, yeah, but now we're maybe dipping into the a little recession, which technically is in recession, even though we've had two non non growth quarters. But that, that's up to the definition of it. Maybe it doesn't identify as a recession. Maybe that's it. We just need to give people. Over. What um, I would really like to see, like something for the next year that I hope that we do see, and it's starting to happen. But I'd really like to see our government doubling down on startups and tech because. Yeah, we've had such an awesome last few years and it really is the future and that's what I'm most passionate about. That's what I want to say is just more and more epic founders getting investment and just going to the moon. Um, yeah, that's what I hope is in store for 2023 is new policies that support founders. Boom. And on that note, we'll leave you to it. Really appreciate your time, Olivia. Best of luck for everything and I'll be talking to you soon. Thanks, Rebecca. See ya. Perfect.